or in the past number of days is number one, there's we're getting another big signal, uh, another gamma trade uh, forming, which basically means there's going to be a huge uh, reversal to the upside once this um, retracement ends. My now, okay, that's a big uh, if when it's going to end. We have all kinds of dates right now that are thrown out by the uh, health professionals where they indicate that, hey, this exponential kind of growth in the case count uh, may continue somewhere into the period of uh, the uh, anywhere from the 9th to the 15th, upward to the 30th, and then start going down. But that all depends on how people respond and whether the mitigation strategies are actually not just flattening the curve, but whether they're actually going to crush the curve. Mitigation doesn't crush a curve. You need other methodologies, mm -hmm. uh, such as suppression. So I, I'm pretty confident in, in the coming days as it becomes increasingly painful with the number of caseloads that maybe uh, a lot of the citizens will uh, take this way more seriously. They already have taken it more seriously, but I think you know, uh, time will tell in the coming few days how seriously and if they don't, then yeah, you could have a situation where uh, the exponential numbers and case counts continue going up uh, beyond uh, April. But I, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I do believe that with everyone working on uh, getting a handle on this situation, I really do think we have a good shot at um, at least managing this situation uh, in the month of April and hopefully in the next couple of weeks. So regardless of that question though, uh, yes. you had mentioned that, um, the market players are trapped like rats on the wrong side of the trade. Uh, and then you said that brokerage dealers are positioning in the option markets, um, is a tweet away from exploding to the upside. What did you mean by that? What I, what I mean by that, and I'm not necessarily referring strictly to a tweet by the president right. or by anybody that has uh, you know, a significant following. But it could just be uh, just any news event that comes out that is just slightly different than what people are expecting. Mm -hmm. And because the underlying structure of how traders are positioned, both within the cash equity markets and in the option markets, and the way the dealers are positioned, uh, it it doesn't take very much in terms a in terms of a slight bit of either positive news or a change in the perception that the the negativity that was already built into the future is not quite is not going to be interpreted as quite as bad. So it could be really really bad, and that's why the market is is still relatively low compared to where we uh, you know, started crashing from. And it's anticipating something extremely dire. Now, yes, what's happened so far is extremely dire and may get even more uh, painful in the coming days. But it doesn't mean markets are forward-looking mechanisms. And at least based on the uh, indicators and what the marketplace is telling me right now, uh, it's telling me that it's lopsided and it's very fragile in the sense that any traders that are caught short in this market, just a small 
uh, group of traders that may see something a little bit differently in the future may um, could actually cause a mass exiting of those short positions and a massive short covering rally that would then give way into some kind of momentum trade that could actually start sparking quite a bit of buying optimism as we move through this month. The reason why I want to bring it up right now is because this is an imminent situation. When you have these kind of things, I believe the last time, the last um, about two episodes before this, we had one of these things. The market, as I said, we could go down for a few more days, but then it should be followed by uh, one of the largest rallies in history. It was. Mm -hmm. I do believe that it's the same thing this time. We could, it's possible that we could go down for anywhere from just a few hours and then explode up, or it could be depending on, you know, an, if there's a negative announcement, then maybe it just goes, um, you know, a bit lower um, for a few more days. And then there's one piece of positive news that causes the short covering rally. So the, the point I'm trying to make is I think this next rally that we're going to get is going to be far more substantial and sustained than the rally that we just recently uh, saw um, a number of days ago. And I believe that's the precursor of something very significant, whether it comes from the administration in terms of, uh, you know, new, new drugs or new, um, new ways of dealing with this uh, situation that may help traders feel that um, the negativity that they were building into the future price is no longer warranted and it but you're obviously you're still this is not something that goes away overnight so the fact that you're going to have that tremendous uncertainty by a great deal of traders in the opposite direction thinking this is going to be terrible and it's not that it's going to be terrible it is terrible but equity markets are not the same as the economy and they can go up for reasons other than the economy and i believe some of those reasons are going to be a lopsided uh, structuring of shorts relative uh, to longs. And I also believe uh, it's, it's going to be um, caused by um, potentially positive, just a small piece of positive information that causes a revaluation of uh, the market as well as money printing. Because if things start getting worse, which the administration thinks they will for a number of days until we peak, then they're likely at some point, you know, to get very nervous about the economic ramifications and likely crank up the quantitative, you know, whether it's quantitative easing, fiscal policy, or, you know, the promise of printing more money. The definition of that means many things, but the idea is money would be uh, basically, there would be monetization in the financial markets and that would actually um, cause uh, you know, the, the equity markets, which are priced in US dollars, to go up to reflect the potential for um, the, the uh, less purchasing power when you do that ultimately. In the initial phases, as I said in the last um, podcast, uh, we are in a deflationary stage because the US dollar, all the money is rushing to the US dollar and uh, we have also lots of disruption and uh, anti-globalization going on. So, and people paying off debt, that's gonna you know, come out of this thing. So that's gonna cause that deflation thing to pay. But 
ultimately you just can't print all this money to avoid all these potential bankruptcies in the small and mid cap uh, space and specifically in small and mid-sized businesses. In order to prevent that, they'll have to like really step up QE to QE infinity of some kind. And in that scenario, professional market uh, players have seen, you know, I've seen this kind of thing play out before. And in the darkest hour is the time to be looking for those buys. Now, are we in the darkest hour? I think we're in the darkest days. We're, we're, we're very, we might be in the darkest hour. This is this, uh, is of this one market. of the reasons why um, I know a lot of investors have been following a couple forums and they are surprised that the market isn't failing as bad um, as they would have expected. Is part of the reason why is because the equity market is different from the well, economy? It's different than the economy. And, and, and when you try to solve an economic problem with a financial market, and with monetization, that money ends up going back into the equity market. So basically solving the economic, you know, trying to provide stimulus for the economic problem is a recipe for a rally, but only if the traders are positioned in such a way that, uh, that what's going on in the dark market and the open market and what's going on in the dealer's books and the option market, it's a very complex relationship Time and time again, uh, historically, when you get to these kind of extremes, uh, you know, small news event that could cause investors and professional investors to actually reposition to the long side. And I see that in the option market, in the equity market, and especially in the anticipation that the, the Fed and central banks will continue printing money to prevent the economy from going into a greater depression than the 1930s. And right. the only way to prevent a depression, given the current situation, uh, is to print your way out of it. And when you do that and monetize uh, the debt, you end up uh, you know, causing all kinds of financial assets to go higher. But when they go higher, they're just going higher in nominal terms. It doesn't mean ultimately down the line, this deflation that we're having right now will turn into a potential stagflation or even worse, hyperinflation. So it's, it's but if given a choice, no, go, no government is gonna wanna, you know, put us into a great depression, you know, if they could help it. So they're gonna try to monetize it and hope for the best that we, you know, we're able to grow our way out of it fast enough before there is hyperinflation. There may be, you know, a very, you know, a, a period of very strong inflation that comes down the line in the 2020s at some point, but it's still better than getting yourself. Well, I wouldn't say it's better, but uh, at least the perception is that it's better than getting into a depression uh, and a deflationary scenario that is extremely difficult to come out of, because if you let that, you know, persist too long, you could have like a 20 or 30 year episode that kind of you know, wipes out the economy. So they want to avoid that at all costs. And, you know, the way to do that is, and historically what governments have done and central banks is monetize it. And historically that causes stock markets to go up. But the thing is just the idea that they're going to monetize it does not stop the market from crashing. But when you have two things coming together, the, the actual structure of how trades are positioned and that expectation of monetization, 
that bodes extremely well for a market that would surprise a lot of um, ordinary um, investors that are not necessarily, you know, attuned to the uh, idiosyncrasies of the financial system and who, who will just look at the economy and equate it with the stock market. So it's a very devious kind of system, but it's something that I've been following for years and it got me quite interested to interesting. It was an interesting thing to see today and over the past number of weeks that this is a persistent condition uh, in the market. And one thing we do know for sure, this is a certainty. One certainty we do know is that this pandemic will end mm -hmm. in some form. Now, yeah, maybe it will be ongoing until there's a vaccine, which we know could take a while, but it is going to end. So there's only so much you could discount into the market and markets don't go straight down if they're going to go a lot lower. They go, they fall precipitously. They have very sharp um, bear market rallies. And then if there's really going to be something very severe, then they come down from a much higher level. So in either scenario, um, I see everything pointing to the, the fastest, sharpest, biggest rally ever in the history of mankind coming up in the U.S. equity markets and probably centered around uh, the S&P and potentially um, uh, NASDAQ as well, given that a lot of the companies in NASDAQ, there's a number of them that are, that are tied to doing well uh, in an environment um, you know, there's a lot of software companies in there that actually benefit or weather, the, um, can, that can weather the storm because they're not actually re requiring people to actually go outside. You could actually, you know, um, use this technology from inside the house. They're used to, you know, these, these technologies are used uh, partly to mitigate the problems that there may be in, uh, in, in the financial markets and in the healthcare markets. There's a lot of biotechnology companies uh, in the NASDAQ. Uh, there's lots of uh, companies uh, that assist um, workers um, in terms of trying to uh, manage their workload online. And uh, there's a lot of companies also in the space of, uh, of providing technologies in order to uh, work more efficiently to solving the problems that we're in. So, uh, and on top of that, uh, technology and 5G and all this, wherever the world is heading right now, uh, NASDAQ is probably the leading market in the world for housing those technologies. So, right. yeah. So if, if the S&P is where the signal is coming from, and those are the markets that were dominant, taking the market up in the first place, those are likely the areas that are going to benefit tremendously. Uh, so, yeah. So that's, that's one area of, of hope that I see in, in the month of April, which could be very near. There may be one more, I mean, it's always possible, there could be one more capitulation down, but however severe it is, it should be extremely short-lived and the rally up should be uh, multiples of, of whatever that sell-off is. So I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the near term. Longer term, uh, we'll have to evaluate that, but I, I just think, it's important to put this point out because there's a lot of people that, you know, may be, uh, you know, thinking about exiting the market and panicking out. And I, I just really think this is a terrible time to be doing that. Mm -hmm. This is a time actually to be putting together a shopping list and, 
and, and, and get your cost of, of investment down by buying near these lows. So mm-hmm. maybe a little bit now and a little bit if there's another uh, little uh, retracement downward. Uh, the other thing that was really, really interesting that I brought up to you um, in the past couple of days is, uh, <clears throat> is the super tanker market. Uh, and it has a lot to do uh, with the fact that since all these factories uh, are shutting down and there, there wasn't an agreement between uh, the OPEC uh, in OPEC, like in order to uh, curtail the, um, the glut of oil, and it's just so much oil out there right now, that there is really, uh, actually it's so big that there's actually about a billion barrels uh, build of oil. Uh, and only about 700 to 800 million uh, barrels of that. Uh, it's, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's going to be pretty hard to, uh, <clears throat> to fill. And that means like there's at least 100 to 200 million barrels of uh, overproduction that's going to have to be stored, but there's nowhere to store it on land. So the opportunity I'm seeing right now is in floating storage companies and super tanker company, uh, uh, super tanker companies that actually have these uh, very large uh, ships um, offshore that are storing this oil. The interesting thing about it is there's not that many of them left. Like, they, 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 a, like a lot of these super tankers had to be retrofitted for the new regulations regarding uh, sulfur and stuff like that. Uh, but also um, a lot of these uh, super tanker companies have, it's, they were depressed for the longest time because like the super tanker rates were so low, it, they weren't really making a lot of money. But now that um, oil is being produced, you know, there's such a glut of oil that to put it into perspective, each tanker, each one of these super tankers could hold approximately 2 million barrels of oil. But each and every day, we're having about a 20 million, uh, you know, there's about 20 million barrels that are kind of overproduced in some cases and, and 200, you know, 200 million, you know, that we need to fill up. That basically means there's like 10 super tankers a day and, and, and up to like 100 to 200 super tankers that are needed to store all this excess oil. And these companies have been at extreme lows for years and there's only a handful of them. And we all know, according to supply and demand, if you have very few companies servicing something that's in high demand due to a disruption, it bodes extremely well for higher prices and higher prices means higher margins for these super tanker companies. Mm -hmm. So I really think that investors and, and, uh, and traders should really, be uh, taking a close look at the super tankers over the uh, the coming months and from from right now and and that could be a very interesting vehicle to trade intraday and and hold as an intermediate term position until this disruption subsides. Gotcha. Now, did you did you send me some of the some of your suggestions, or is that something that we're kind of saving for our subscribers well we we are saving 
uh, some of these, like the specific names of the companies for okay. premium subscribers. Okay. But there, but subscribers, but there aren't that many companies in the space. Mm -hmm. So it, so just being aware of that industry group, I do believe there, there may be ETFs in that space. I'm not a big fan of ETFs. I think mm -hmm. it, it's best that investors are aware of that because mm -hmm. I, I see an opportunity across that space. But there are, you know, one there's one or two names that are extremely look extremely interesting, but again uh, those are available but on on a premium basis okay um, yeah so but, i mean really as a diversified uh investor if somebody was to just invest in the you know four of the leading companies out there and it's and and just go across the space uh that would be very interesting to be to have a trader you know basically buy um on retracements inside of the trend and i think you're going to see a lot of bids in the coming months. It did have a significant move off the base, but I don't believe, uh, I do believe there's many trading opportunities um, within that uh, intermediate term trend. So I don't believe it's over. I think uh, it, there's, yeah, I believe it's gonna go much higher. There's one other comment uh, I'd like to make about the, uh, <clears throat> these companies mm -hmm. is that normally uh, the oil market is, um, is not in a super contango. I'm gonna, this is a term uh, some investors not be, may not be familiar with. It's something that commodity investors would be familiar with. So I just wanna just briefly describe what a contango is. Normally, when you're buying a futures contract, buying you know forward production, uh, usually when somebody produces something like oil or crude oil, uh, it needs to be stored so that somebody could use it in the future. So when the price of the nearby contract is usually less than the price of the forward contract further out into the future, because you actually have to store the oil and there's a storage cost in doing that. So part of the storage cost is storing it on a tanker or storing it on land. In this case, because of the, the glut, a lot of these, um, the excess is gonna be stored um, on these uh, super tankers. So, but because of the precipitous drop um, in oil prices and so quickly, what would actually happen is that um, it kind of inverted. So mm -hmm. it's actually the, the price, the price is in the opposite direction. So it's actually allowing uh, it to be profitable to buy oil today and benefit uh, from storing it and selling it at a higher price, either months out or years out. Mm -hmm. and, and because of that, that's where the opportunity lies in actually um, owning the super tankers that benefit from that super contangle. Mm -hmm. Good deal. So let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, how about talking a little more about the biotech? You had mentioned that earlier as well, that you were getting signals that suggest that uh, companies that are in biotech and, you know, working for a cure for COVID, uh, they're potentially positioned to do really well. Uh, do you care to kind of elaborate a little on that? Sure. So the various areas 
that are likely, like biotech as a whole is a very, very interesting sector um, in this upcoming recovery period, okay? So I believe it's gonna strongly outperform uh, a lot of other assets. There's a good reason for it. In, in a world that's completely uncertain, where there's a lot, you know, it's vague in terms of how long this thing is gonna last. And even if we do in, you know, kind of flatten the curve and the exponential growth of the case numbers, it doesn't mean that you still don't get uh, a rise in the case numbers from lower levels in the future. So it's still an ongoing risk. There's still the perception of risk, whether it's merited or not. And perception is just as real as um, reality if the, if the investor's psychology is damaged and, uh, and they're scared, let's say, and confused to invest in the overall market. That's partly also why I think the market's gonna go up because markets don't go up when everyone's convinced they're going up. You gotta have enough skepticism to feed the rally. And I believe with the divergence between the financial markets, the economy and the healthcare crisis in the near term, that will be enough to fuel it. So for those reasons, there's the safe haven is gonna be in areas that would actually you know, tend to benefit now, it's ov obviously the goal is not to try to benefit off of a crisis. That's a very bad idea. All you want to do is you just want to, you know, make yourself as safe as possible in, in, in a financial way so that you could weather this storm and not become more ill by destroying your wealth. And that causes other, uh, you know, health problems besides the virus itself. So if there's anything that we could, you know, provide on this podcast to investors to, to help, you know, deal with that kind of potential collateral damage, um, then we're all for it. And I do believe that by looking at industry sectors that actually are trying to solve the problem, that makes sense. Like that's where investors are probably, you know, they're desperate to look for a solution. And, and by having, you know, the federal government and, and lots of, uh, different groups come together and make investments into these biotech solutions, it's likely that there's gonna be a few significant winners in the space. Now, don't get me wrong, there are like lots of biotech companies that are really don't have much going for them. They just basically writes, you know, they, they hear that there's uh, some kind of need for something and then all of a sudden they become the next big biotech, like the way they write themselves up. That's you need to, there needs to be a, companies that are actively, that have been actively involved in the space, that have a history and track record, as well as um, decent, uh, you know, valuation. You can't really look at valuations completely in, in biotechs because the way they're valued is a lot based on the management and the potential of the drug outcomes. So, there are a number of uh, sub um, categories inside the biotech sector um, that is trying to address this problem. And it starts with companies that are involved in widespread diagnostic testing that make it more efficient for large numbers of people to be tested. Because even if this episode subsides now, 
it, it, this is going to linger, you know, this is an ongoing issue. There's always going to be pandemics in mm -hmm. the future. This pandemic could actually resurface in a mutated form at some point in the future. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen. Now, all the research that I've been looking at basically says that the longer this thing draws on and the more case numbers there are over a longer period of time, that's when mutations take place. Uh, but if we could keep those, if we could really squash the curve, keep the numbers relatively low compared to what the extremes could be and narrow the window, then the, then the risk of having mutations down the line could decrease. But this is, you know, that's an area of uncertainty. Nobody knows for sure how people are going to respond and what this virus is going to do. Hopefully it's going to work out. But because of that, as an investor, you want to look at all possibilities. And because of that, you would want to be diversified across companies that are great in the biotech space that are involved in widespread diagnostic testing, different ways of testing that have high efficacy, prophylactics, like so situations where you could actually take something to prevent a, a, an outcome, a negative outcome from happening. Uh, that could be preventing, let's say, um, the actual uh, virus from, let's, um, from actually multiplying as quickly in the body. And also, um, it, could, it could also be related to um, drug companies uh, that are you know, providing um, therapeutics that prevent the actual bacteria that may form after the attack of certain organs in, in, in the case that these, um, these uh, viruses actually enter into, uh, into the lungs or other uh, vital organs. So those are companies you want to focus on, as well as um, antiviral drug platforms. So technology and, and uh, companies that actually provide the equipment in order to conduct the research for these companies coming out up with new types of vaccines. And finally, companies that are involved in developing uh, actual vaccines that are, that are either being um, potentially funded uh, by the, uh, the government or large um, pharmaceutical companies that have quite a bit of backing so that if, if one project that they're working on doesn't work out, uh, they have other venues for continuing their research without you know, running out of capital. So those are the kind of areas you wanna focus on. Um, again, I can't touch on all the names of the companies, but because this is such an important topic, I definitely do wanna mention a company. I'm gonna mention one company. Uh, there are small, a lot of smaller cap companies that have tremendous potential. Uh, I'm not gonna mention those. Uh, just because there, there's so many and for the risk profile for certain investors, I, I don't want to mention companies that, have, that are so small cap that yes, it's true if they do come up with the um, vaccine or certain kind of treatments, yes, they could go up 20 or 40 fold in a very short period of time. At least that's what I see. But it, it's such a binary event that I think it would do a disservice to uh, anyone but like the most hardened trader. Um, so for me, yeah, that, that's fine. But so what I want to mention is uh, one company uh, that is um, 
that's in the space of uh, developing uh, these kind of uh, drugs and vaccines. And, and that's uh, Regeneron. The symbol is R-E-G-N. It's a very expensive company in terms of what one share is worth. Uh, basically right now, I'm just gonna put it up on my uh, screen right now just to see what the latest price is today. 496.65. Yeah, right now 496, uh, well, 497.18 is the offer and they're bidding 499.78 in after hours trading today. So actually uh, yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, I shot you out uh, a memo on that. Um, bought some for the uh, family account and uh, basically down at uh, when it was in the 470s. Um, in percentage terms, it's not, you know, it's such an expensive stock, 20 bucks plus is not a big deal, but I do see potential for this uh, the company and, you know, over the next uh, six to 18 months of uh, doubling or tripling. But the point is it, whether it doubles or triples, the main point to drive home is that it's one of the better names in the space that also is a larger cap play that isn't as binary as some of these smaller cap ones that are relying on um, an event to take place. Uh, this company has been around for a while and they have a lot of other diversified uh, drugs that could offset any kind of uh, short-term risk while they're developing uh, these uh, drugs for uh, the coronavirus. So. Uh, yeah, so this is a very interesting play. Um, what, I'm just going to give some more insight because I don't like just like a lot of um, podcasts will just tell people about the name and they won't really tell them about what the levels into they should be details. looking at. Right. So I just want to just mention that uh, when I bought it yesterday, uh, her family account in the 470s, I was aware that there were a couple levels that it could have gone to first and I would have added to it. So it's, you really got to know what's the total amount you're comfortable on losing on an investment, then allocate whatever that amount is and divide it by the levels, the number of levels that they are that are interesting for buying in on. So the level below the market, uh, it was um, 456. That was an interesting level to me. So um, I would, if it was to go to 456 again, I have no idea whether it will. It could just explode and never come back again. If it does, I'm going to be buying some. And even if this stock got down to 384, I'm going to be all over it because and I don't see it doing that right now. But I don't look, look if it does, I'm very happy because all I see is a bull market in this thing going up for quite a few years. And, uh, you know, for at least a double, it could be a triple, it could be a quadruple. I just, I just see it almost like when the S&P was entering a bull market in 1982 and then continued going up for years. Yeah, there were pullbacks along the way. But as, as an investment, it actually made sense. It's in a space that is going to help people survive very negative outcomes. And right. they have been successful in the past. So, yeah, that's probably... The, the highest quality one that, uh, that I've looked at that's in the space uh, dealing with the coronavirus. Something that, uh, anything else you want to add for our listeners? I think for today, uh, I think it covers the most immediate, actionable kind of mm -hmm. trading opportunities. People thinking that the market is being 
manipulated. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on that, which I guess obviously it is since the Fed is pumping money into the market. So I know a lot of individual investors are surprised that the market is doing as well as it is. I think there's a difference between like, there's two types of, I don't think it's manipulated in the worst way possible. Like they're doing these things to prevent a disaster. Mm -hmm. Like there have been times in history where there wasn't a disaster imminent, but yet they did things in order to profit at the expense of everybody else. And that would be like bad manipulation. Mm -hmm. This is maybe manipulating what the market ordinarily would have done without intervention, but because intervention is necessary, it's, it's, it's a good type of, uh, you know, uh, manipulation. I'd rather just use it as intervention. I don't like the word manipulation in this case. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious cause I'm, I've been starting to follow a, a bunch of forums and uh, that's a, a common theme that I, I'm touching base on because everyone is trying to blame someone else for them not predicting the market properly or adequately. So, of course, you it, know what the thing is, it fault. was built into the market. This bull market has been going years longer than it should have. And it mm -hmm. has a lot to do with central bank policy, has a lot to do with, you know, um, the behavior of uh, Fortune 500 companies and, uh, you know, that were using their uh, using the money from the government to buy back their stock at, at valuations just so that they could get like, there's there is a lot of things uh, that you just cannot prolong a bull market beyond the ability for the companies to generate an organic profit mm -hmm. you can't artificially reduce costs to the point where you ship everything overseas at the expense of destabilizing your supply chain when one wrong thing happens and one link disappears because, you know, one of the big topics today is the idea that, you know, we, we, we built up these supply chains based on just in time management. It mm -hmm. works well when things are going up, but if there's just one link destroyed in the chain, whether it was coronavirus or whether it was some other thing, it didn't have to be in this case, it just happened to be the trigger. Then it would basically, uh, you know, move us from a period of globalization to a period of deglobalization where um, production and manufacturing is brought back home, which would be consistent with uh, the president's viewpoint of, you know, building, uh, you know, putting uh, Americans back to work. But mm -hmm. that comes at an expense also because normally, I mean, it's always a good thing to put Americans and domestic people back to work. You always want to do that. But when you're at the end of a, a late stage business cycle, and if there's a global disruption, it becomes very difficult to deal with because you're dealing with the situation where uh, there's, you know, right now, nobody's making money. A lot of these small and mid-sized businesses are going to fail without the government pounding money into the system. Some will fail regardless. And when you do that, whatever money you are earning, if you are working, you, the, whatever it could buy in the marketplace for consumable goods is not the same amount. So your purchasing power is going down because they're trying to correct the problem by money printing at mm -hmm. the same time that people don't have money to buy unnecessary things. So all the things that supported the market, uh, you know, on the way up are no longer going to be there, you know, um, the next time the, the, the market goes up. The market could go up with nobody in the house. 
So you could have a market that goes to an all-time new high or, or double where it is right now, and nobody actually made any money because very few people participated. And I think that's what's going to happen this time. You're going to see hardly anyone participating, probably a lot more participation once we get to the top, and that will be the recipe for the next crash. Uh, whether it happens in October or earlier or next year, I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a series of these rolling disruptions as this decade plays out. But that also means rolling opportunities, new industries forming, some uh, industries restructuring with different players running them. And that's just how it is. So, yeah, I think there's huge money to be made. But uh, unfortunately, that it's going to be very difficult for people to to say they're going to be making money without uh, an economic consequence attached to it. So, Gotcha. All right, good. Very well put. <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment advice.